Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He's blocked my way so I can't pass. He's shrouded my path in darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me amongst his enemies. His troops advance in force and they build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me as a foreigner. They look on me as on a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I'm loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When they appear, when I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me, and those I love have turned against me. I'm nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. Thanks, Roger. We come to uh, the last in our series, uh, at least in the preaching series on prayer uh, today, looking at lament. And there is another one uh, in the growth group Bible study notes uh, on cursing, which we won't uh, be touching on here at church, but uh, for those who are in growth groups, I pray that that is a fruitful study for you. And as I mentioned... Today we wrap up looking at what the Bible tells us about prayer and particularly about lament. And so I'm going to pray now that God would help us as we dive into that passage, but also a number of other passages in the Bible. Gracious Father, please be with us now as we reflect on lamenting to you and grieving to you in prayer. pray that you would grant us insight and uh, encourage us and grow us in our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Harder, better, faster, stronger. It's not just the chorus of uh, Daft Punk's excellent song of the same name. Uh, it's actually the rallying cry of our modern world. Yeah, such that anything good is measured on things being, you know, better, faster and stronger. 
progress, freedom, tolerance, much of uh, what which our society would claim has been gained in spite of Christianity. Uh, as the journalist and LGBTQIA plus advocate Dan Savage said to uh, the Christian journalist Peter Hitchens at a Q&A uh, show held in the Opera House to a packed crowd, he said, people are freer now, happier now, it's a less intolerant world than it used to be because people like me now have the have been empowered to look at people like you and say you are full of... Yeah. To which he got a standing ovation. And yet, there is an annual increase in Australia of 7% of people going on antidepressants. A general rise of drug-induced death in the last 15 years. Uh, Domestic violence is rampant, with 1 in 6 women experiencing it and 1 in 20 men uh, every year. The the politically left is getting more militant, the right more fear-mongering. It seems people are less free, less happier and less tolerant than they used to be. For all the promise of progress, there seems to be as much, if not more, suffering and division and distress and worry in the world. And not just out there, but in here too, I suspect, and in here. For instance, how do you feel? Do you feel like your spiritual life has gone from leaps to bounds over the last couple of years? And that your friendship with God and believers here at church, that that those have blossomed? Or do you just grit your teeth and do your duty, wishing people actually knew, knew you or wanted to or had the time to? And any affections that you have for God are, are dwindling under the unrelenting bombardment of the troubles and worries and traumas that he doesn't seem to care about anyway. And maybe you have frightening moments of wondering why you bother at all. When life with God seems to be just as destined for suffering and pain and disappointment and heartache and dryness as without him. What do we do then? Is that where you're at currently? Well, that actually brings us to lament in prayer. And to look at that, we'll touch on, firstly, uh, the problem of pain. Uh, Secondly, groaning in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, some pains to pray about. So first up, uh, the problem of pain. Not the philosophical conundrum of evil and suffering that plagues every worldview, Christian or otherwise, but our everyday experience of pain. The simple fact is, we all suffer, right, in one way or another. And we all expect there to be something better than there is, than what is. And pain and suffering, the unpleasant kind, only seems to accentuate that hope. A hope that the ultimate reality, the thing that we are striving for and hoping for, is satisfying, pleasurable, good and full of life and love. But no one hopes for what they already have, right? And it's a pain until we have it, until we get it. So in a way, hope in a better life just adds to the pain of this life, right? Which is a problem. It's a real problem if that hope isn't real or it's not sustainable, like putting our hopes in financial security or our family or whatever else it might be in this world, which can all come and go in this life, and which we can't take with us once we're dead. But unlike every other hope that we have, 
which will ultimately die with us, God offers us an ever-living hope, as the Apostle Peter writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Like that's a magnificent passage. Uh, Our hope is in a living hope. It's in Jesus Christ, a person who rose from the dead, never to die again, and who returned to the Father in heaven to prepare a place for us, a place that's much better than this place, a place that he'll reveal and bring us into on that last day when he returns. No big secret there. I'm sure that many of us and most of us have heard that before. But there's a problem. He hasn't returned yet. And it's been over 2,000 years. It might be uh, 2022 common error, but we all know the number, where the number's from, don't we? <laughs> it's about when Jesus Christ was born in Palestine. It's actually 2022 AD, and Domini, in the year of our Lord. But there's a tease in that, even in the number. If he's not dead and he's coming back, where is he? And why does he seem so distant, particularly in our pain? In some ways, the hope of that final redemption, it only accentuates the pain and the suffering of here and now. Because as those who believe in the God of Jesus and cry out to him in pain, and that pain remains, what do we have to conclude? God wants us to suffer. Or at the very least, he's allowing it. Job, in the Bible, he knew this. He suffered terribly. He lost everything and everyone. And so he lays it all at God's feet. We read it earlier. Though I cry to God, violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He's blocked my way so I cannot pass. He shrouded my paths in darkness. He stripped me of my honour. He's removed a crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another, but how my heart yearns within me. Job's suffering is all the worse for his faith in God because he knows the God he believes in. He knows he's the judge of all the earth. He knows his dominion, it's over all that he gives and that he takes away and so he can only conclude that God's not listening to him, that he's against him and as such his hope, it's uprooted like a tree. But hoping against hope, he hopes in the end where God will finally redeem him and vindicate him. That's what he yearns for But that's not how it is now. And so he groans to God and about what he's doing to him now. And his complaints, they are recorded here in Job, not as a sign of him losing his religion, but of him desperately pushing that much harder in the hope that he has in God. And I reckon this is something we can learn from and do ourselves. Perhaps even more so, because... We not only have a living hope in Jesus who's promised to return, but we have the Holy Spirit living in us now. 
right now, as the whole, as the, the Apostle Paul says. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we wait, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Those who believe in Jesus believe he not only died in their place to save them for eternal life, but that he rose from the dead, went back to the Father in heaven, from where he pours out the Holy Spirit on those who believe in him. Those who believe in Jesus have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. That is, they have a taste of eternal life, of God being with forever, with God forever, in pain-free, perfect and redeemed bodies. And Paul says those with that, that hope groan. They groan because they haven't got what God's promised yet. They live in hope. And this hope is suffering. Which might sound a little bit odd, right? Like hope and suffering shouldn't go together. I can understand why the slogan of our friends at Erin EV uh, Church is solid hope and not solid suffering. I can't imagine solid suffering. We'll get many people into the door. Uh, but this is the promise of life here and now in the Spirit. It's a life patiently waiting for something better. It's a life suffering, not the best, and often the worst. And this is not in spite of God intervening. It's because of him. And of course Jesus knew this. He knew this the most. As he was pinned like an insect on that cross to die, and laid in a tomb to decompose, this was God's plan. Even though Jesus prayed that he take it away in the garden, even though he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what the Father wanted for Jesus. Why? Well, for the hope set before him. As the Bible says, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hope, the hope of eternal joy with God, was not just Jesus' hope, a hope that was with him in that garden of tears, a hope that was with him on that murderous cross, a hope that was with him on that cold slab. It's the hope we have too, a hope that we will suffer for as we take up our cross and follow Jesus to glory through those dark days of Holy Saturday. This picture painted in uh, 1521 of the, the dead Christ I, uh, is really profound if you let it get at, get at you. Because I think it says something important for our life here and now in Christ as we observe him silent and decaying. Because while our faith is in the crucified and resurrected Christ, it's also in the Christ who was buried. And so if we're united to him, by faith, if we're united to him in his death, then there's something of our life here and now that's united to him in his burial. That we experience something of the decay of life and even the silence of God, a feeling like he's left us. That we're just hopelessly decaying, waiting for this long, dark and yet holy Saturday, yearning for the resurrection Sunday when Jesus returns. 
but we're not there yet. And it's precisely because the Holy Spirit is with us and in us that we groan while we wait. And so we should groan and grieve in our prayers. Which brings us to our second point, groaning in the Holy Spirit. While we might groan all the more at this life with the Holy Spirit, it's precisely in our weakness that he helps us. As Paul goes on to say, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. The weakness that Paul's talking about here seems to be linked to not knowing what we ought to pray for. Now, when do we feel like that? When do we feel like we just don't know what to pray for? Isn't it when we're at our wit's end? Grief-stricken and heartbroken when we've, we've got no idea why something has happened or keeps happening or why God lets it happen or doesn't take it away and we don't know what to say? There's a reason why I think uh, Edward Munch's painting, famous painting, The Scream, is so powerful. It's because it's silent. Isn't that often the response? The only response to something horrible and tragic and painful? A silent scream? Surely that's at least something of the weakness that Paul's talking about here. The weakness of having no words. Of having nothing to say in our own suffering or at the horrors of the world. A weakness that we're told the Spirit helps us in. How? Well, by interceding for us with wordless groans, which seems to be the Spirit's own language of prayer, something he does in us that we're not even aware of when we don't know what to pray. What a wonderful thought, right? That the Holy Spirit groans along with us in our pain and our suffering when we don't know what to pray. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want to strengthen us in our weakness so that we might eventually find the words to pray. After all, Paul tells us elsewhere, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed means from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, so to speak. And so all scripture, the whole Bible, is from the Holy Spirit. If people wrote it, he carried them along. That means those, six, those sections of the Bible that are full of grief and lament to God, they're from the Holy Spirit too. They're to teach us and to train us so that we might be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped to pray in our weakness and our grief and our pain. And in this way, the Spirit... I think wonderfully helps us. It's no accident that at the point of Jesus' greatest suffering, as he hangs on that cross in agony, as he takes on the sins of the whole world, abandoned by his friends and by his heavenly Father, that he's able to give voice to his anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Using Psalm 22, inspired by the Spirit. And we feel that, right? And the feeling is right. Not just because his cry is authentic, but because it's sanctified, because they're holy words of anguish, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as are all the anguished prayers that the Holy Spirit has inspired in Scripture. Prayers that we can use to grieve to God in our dark times. Over a hundred years ago, uh, Helen Keller was an American author, uh, disability rights advocate, political activist and lecturer. When she was 19 months old, she lost her sight and her hearing due to uh, illness. And as a result, 
she turned into an untamed and isolated creature. <laughs> when she was about seven, though, she got a teacher, Anne Sullivan. Anne was partially blind herself. And Anne taught Helen the manual alphabet, spelling the words on her hand letter by letter. After ten weeks of doing this, there was a breakthrough as Anne spelt the word water on one of Helen's hands while pouring water on the other. And Helen recalls in her autobiography years later what that was like. She wrote, Water! The word startled my soul and it awoke full of the spirit of the morning until the, that day my mind had been like a darkened chamber waiting for words to enter and the light and light the lamp, which is thought. I learned a great many words that day. Helen's discovery of words where words were absent before and then being able to share her deepest pain and feelings were a massive part of her overcoming the trauma of her life and her struggles. And I reckon, I reckon the Holy Spirit in Scripture is like Anne Sullivan who gives us the words to express our deepest hurts and pain and suffering to God. Indeed, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. To pray in the Spirit, then, is to use the Word of God. And so, as we feel down and in pain and in darkness like God's abandoned us and isn't even listening to us and doesn't really care, we're to let the Spirit help us in those weaknesses, in, in our weakness, and to grieve and lament to God in the words that the Spirit provides in his scriptures. Which brings us to our final point, some pains to pray about. Because there's a lot of prayers of lament inspired by the Spirit in scripture, prayers that start with why, and how long prayers our Heavenly Father wants us to use to give voice to those things that grieve us about life, and even Him. Like how unfair life seems. The psalmist in Psalm 73, he complains that he's wasted his try time trying to be good because the wicked seem to get away with doing whatever they want and prospering for it. He, he complains... This is what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children, he's talking to God. When I tried to understand all this, it, it troubled me deeply. But he was able to grieve to God about it. And then verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. See, in his lament to God, his grief leads to understanding and hope. Indeed, we see his grief was an expression of his hope in God. And ours can be too, as we complain to God and grieve over the success of the wicked and the evil in this world and cry to God, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, will you, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? How long will you let the wicked win? How long will you let the wicked get away with their wickedness? Why do I bother doing things your way when those who don't bother about it seem to have a better life? Those kind of prayers, they're holy laments. Or about deserved suffering for sin. There's another thing that we can lament and grieve about. 
The book of Lamentations is key for this. As the writer bemoans his lot and the lot of his people, the Jews, as Jerusalem and the temple have been razed to the ground and they've all been exiled to Babylon. Why? Well, for their constant rebellion against God because of their sins. So he says, see, Lord, how distressed I am. I'm in torment within and in my heart I'm disturbed for I've been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, inside there's only death. People have heard my groaning, but there's no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so that they might become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you've dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. So we too can use this and other sections in Lamentations to grieve over our own sin and the consequences that God's allowed in our life because of them. To tell him how distressed and distraught we are. Remembering this is not just something God's people struggled with before Jesus, but afterwards too. For instance, the Apostle Paul, he grieves over his own ongoing sinfulness, and you can read this in Romans 7. And we can use some of the language of lamentations to turn Paul's grief into our own lament. Maybe something like uh, bits from, like this, with the bits from uh, lamentations in white and underlined. This could be. A prayer of lament over our sin. Oh, Father God, I don't do what I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. And I can't seem to stop. It's like there's two of me, the good and the sinful, but the good, that the sinful is the stronger. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Can't you see I am in torment within me? My heart is so disturbed. I do delight in your ways, Father, but there's just always a fight inside like I'm a prisoner to sin and people see my inconsistencies, they judge me. What is wrong with me? Forgive me and give me your power to keep fighting against my sinful nature that you promise in Jesus and by your Holy Spirit. It's an example of a prayer of lamenting over your sin. That's another thing we can do to grieve to God. Yet another is to is over the sorrows that he lets us suffer and the, the, the silence our cries for help are met with. As Psalm 88 allows, saying this to God, You have put me in the lowest pit. You've taken me from my closest friends. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Why, Lord, do you reject me or hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death I've borne your terrors and I'm in despair your wrath has swept over me your terrors have destroyed me all day long they surround me like a flood they have completely engulfed me you have taken from me friend and neighbour darkness is my closest friend that such as this can be said to God when our hope in him is low only speaks to a deeper hope a hope that yearns and aches for God, a hope against hope, when all sense of God's presence and any comfort and goodness are swallowed up in our sorrow and distress and loneliness. A hope that Jesus knew as he mingled his own suffering with the, the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words given by the Holy Spirit. Like many others in the Psalms, that we should use regularly to cry to God in our pain. Why? How long? Because they're actually born 
of a deep hope in Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Contrary to popular opinion, this world is not getting better. And we have to endure its pains and sufferings, often feeling like God is either silent or not there. We're in the long, dark day of Holy Saturday. But not without help. We have the gift of lament, given to us by the Holy Spirit, that we might honestly groan and grieve to our Heavenly Father while we wait for that great Resurrection Sunday when Jesus returns. So let's get to lamenting. And I thought it would be good to have a crack at it, uh, to use Psalm 42 as a guide uh, for the language and even the structure of our prayers now, our prayer of grieving to God for the next few minutes. So let's pray and lament to God. <clears throat> 